Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world, welcome to the show. This is the Millennial Millionaire Podcast, and I am your host, Stephen Cohen. This podcast is focused on bringing some of the wisest minds from across the globe to discuss concepts, strategies, and ideals that will lead them to be top performers in their respective industries and their lives. This show is for the millennials and millennials at heart to transcend their mindset, their health, and their income to the next level. We are so excited to have you on this journey with us. Welcome to the show. Yo, 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 welcome back to the show, guys. Today, I'm super stoked to have our guest, Mr. Tyler Brown, a good buddy of mine. Tyler is a local out here in Las Vegas, born and raised. He got drafted by the San Francisco Giants back in his sophomore year, college professional baseball year, did that for four years, and then quickly realized, uh, got released to the real world back in 2018, where he found his door-to-door career. He started in Vivint, was a top producer there, and then moved over to the solar industries, absolutely crushing it, and also is currently uh, dominating the real estate game on the investment and flipping side. So just to hear his story and understand kind of what some of the adversities he's gone through and some of the triumphs he's had, just super excited to uh, finally get him in the show while you're here, man. What's yeah. up, man? Welcome How are to the you? show. Thank you for having me. This is an amazing setup. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'm we're making it happen. Yeah, we're, we're, we're getting it going, man. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad it worked out. I know you're here for the holidays. I know you live in Texas right now, so I'm yeah. glad uh, glad it worked out, man. No, um, it made sense. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, man. So yeah, give give all the uh, viewers a little background about you, what you're about, and uh, we'll hop into it. Yeah, so I mean, just as you said, uh, went to Coronado, so I was born and raised out here in Vegas. Um, went to high school out here, went to college out here, played baseball pretty much my entire life, and uh, ended up getting drafted my sophomore year of college to the Giants. Played for four years, made it up to AAA, um, which was amazing. Learned a lot through that career for sure. But yeah, just as you said, got released. It's very cutthroat. Every year they draft 40 guys, they cut 40 guys, you know. And uh, in 2018, that just happened to be my year. Just like you said, I got released into the real world and uh, probably had the biggest career adversity from a, you know, macro career level. I mean, just like we were talking about, everyone's had. Um, personal adversities, you know, relationships, death, things like that. But from a career standpoint, I just kind of feel like I lost my identity a little bit because my complete identity was always baseball, baseball, baseball. And uh, I just had to make a decision on what I wanted to do. Did I want to continue to strive and try and make it to the big leagues, to the minor leagues, which is not an easy lifestyle, especially if you have a relationship or that's serious and you're gone for six months to, you know, six to eight months every single year. Um, yeah, I just had to make a decision. I ended up getting a job, uh, and, and trying and doing the real world, you know, stuff. And I don't know, I was making 18, 19 bucks an hour and just an hourly job. And it wasn't terrible. You know, I was paying the bills. I had a nice apartment off of St. Rose out here, me and Paige. And, uh, yeah, I was just looking at people around me that had been there for five, six years and they were making like $2 an hour more than me. And I'm like, is this what I'm going to do for the next six years just to make $2 more? And then I'm looking at these people and, you know, they're great people, but I just felt like I had so much more to give than one, what I was doing. I was just doing some like back end paperwork stuff for an insurance company and uh, felt like I had way more to give. So I started talking to my mom. Hey, what should I do next? I'm really not feeling fulfilled or happy in what I'm doing. Mama's always got the best advice. Should I go back to baseball? What should I do? And, you know, she said, Tyler, you would be a phenomenal salesman. Uh, I've met a lot of salesmen, and I know you would be great at sales. So started looking into that and um, figuring out what I wanted to do. I knew it wasn't uh, car sales. I knew I didn't really want to sell real estate. Even though I loved real estate, I I, I really didn't want to sell it. Um, 
and I reached out to my cousin, Brody Fawcett, which I'm pretty sure you were on his podcast. Yeah. But um, reached out to him. I knew he was super successful, and I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what Vivint was. I didn't know it was knocking doors. I didn't know it was alarms. I just knew he was super successful and uh, was putting a lot of that money into real estate and was doing really well. So reached out to him, you know, said, hey, man, I'm, I'm ready to see what you got going on and hear more about it. And so it's kind of funny. We do a lot of recruiting in our industry where we're reaching out to people. Hey, I got this opportunity. I was actually the one that reached out to him and said, hey, what is the opportunity? Can you show it to me? And uh, yeah, he took me out for one day. I drove up to Utah. I shadowed him. He got like two deals. I want to say alarm deals. Um, and I don't know, four or five hours. And you know, he made whatever it was, $1,500 or 2000 from selling alarms. You're hooked. Uh, and I said, I'm in, <laughs> you know, what, what's the next step? So, uh, you know, I got onboarded. I did that. And yeah, that's kind of how my door to door Vivint career started. And I've been there ever since. That's awesome, man. Yeah. The whole baseball thing is, is super fascinating to me because, you know, growing up, you know, like we were talking about before, um, you know, even myself, right. I feel like most people's dreams, most, you know, men's dream is to become a professional athlete. I feel like growing up, they're put on such a pedestal and that's kind of like the elite of elite where only a small, you know, extremely small fraction of people get to 1%, 1%. Yeah. Be the 1%. So for you to actually get there through all your hard work, I'm sure it was a childhood dream of yours and your family. And then for it not to work out, what was that process like for you to realize that something that you've been chasing your whole life is now over and now you have to go find something else to kind of fill that same fire and passion? It was hard. Like I said, I mean, it was kind of an identity crisis for sure. It was almost like a, a piece of me had died because I knew that I was not going to be chasing that career anymore. And that's all I ever knew was training, um, ground balls hitting. It's just all I, I ever knew. That was, you know, every day my whole focus was how can I be a better baseball player? So when it ended, it, I mean, like I said, was the biggest adversity I feel like I faced in my career. Um, and it was just tough. I just kind of had to work through it a little bit. And uh, like I just said, figure out what I wanted to do next. I'm always someone who's what's next, what's next, what can I look forward to? What can push me? What can motivate me? You know, kind of just looking for things to, to strive for. Yeah. And for a little while there, there wasn't that. Where, you know? did the, where did that mindset come from for, for you to one, make it to the pros? And then obviously you're crushing it now, which we're going to get into, you know, it, it seems like whatever avenue you put your mind to, you know, you're able to get to the, the top, the, the cream of the crop. Was that something from your, your parents growing up? Is that just something you d developed naturally through the years? I would say my parents had a big role in it. You know, I lost my dad when I was 17 um, and he was a great role model. My mom as well. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think it's natural for sure. It definitely takes work ethic. It takes discipline. It takes all that. And I think it's, it's developing, you know, I think when I was younger, I didn't have it maybe as much, maybe I had it focused towards baseball, but then there was other parts of my life where maybe I wasn't as disciplined as I was when it came to the baseball field. Um, but no, I think it's ever growing. I think it's something I have to work on every single day. Cause I think us as, you know, humans, it's, it's discipline and, that's not the first thing that we want to do. That's, that's hard, you know? Um, so yeah, I would just say it's developed over time by doing hard things, putting myself in adversity situations, um, and really just overcoming them and knowing that I can do it, you know? And so, yeah, it's still growing. I think where I'm at right now compared to where I'm going to be at mindset wise with dealing with stress, adversity, things like that. I mean, I think I'm going to be better in 10 years than I am now because I'll have 10 years of time. I love that, man. It's it's the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset. You know, there's a great book. Uh, I think it's Carol Becker uh, called Mindset. 
But I think you exemplify that great. You know, it's whatever the avenue, whatever the vehicle, like whatever, you know, challenge you put yourself through, you believe that you're going to become better and continue to grow because as human beings, we're designed to do that. You know, I feel like so many people out there, one, if they get close to their dreams or if they accomplish a big goal, it feels like they let their foot off the gas a little bit versus continue to take that to elevate but for you to go through something that you've spent so much time, energy, desire, visualization, accomplish it, lose it, and then to become elite at a different industry um, is just super cool. Do you think some of those traits, skill set, attributes that got you into the pros translated over to your sales career? 100%. Absolutely. I tell my leaders at Vivint that all the time. Um, I think there, there's a piece of me that's just obsessive about success, and it doesn't necessarily have to be baseball, real estate, door to door. It's just, it's the legacy that I want to leave. I, I don't want mm -hmm. it to be normal. And that's why I wanted to be a big leaguer. That's why I put all my energy and effort into that. And then when I lost that, you know, whatever you want to say, lost it or moved on, uh, it was just, okay, what can I now put all that energy back into? So that obsessive training, instead of doing, taking ground balls and taking swings, it was uh, role-playing pitches. It was reading sales books. It was uh, reaching out to people in the industry that had already done what I wanted to do and just kind of changing the focus instead of baseball, it was sales and how can I go be the best salesman? And I think a lot of the failure that I dealt with in baseball, because I mean, if you know baseball, which it sounds like you do, I mean, you're going up to the plate 10 times. And if you get three hits out of those 10 times, I mean, you're an, you're an all-star, you're going to yeah. the hall of fame, you know? So seven times you're going up there in front of thousands of fans, uh, striking out, um, grounding out, popping out just for three of them, hopefully three of them to go well, you know? So I tell people, uh, all the time, if I ever have a bad pitch or a bad presentation, there's not thousands of fans that are <laughs> watching that there's one family or there's one door that I knocked on. So nobody's seeing that, but me. So it's very easy for me to just go to the next door, go to the next door, because, you know, I used to strike out in front of thousands of fans and in front of my teammates, which, you know, they wanted to see me fail because they wanted that position to make it to the big leagues, you know? For sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I absolutely agree that it does, it did translate over, and, and a lot of the, the skill sets and a lot of the things that I learned really did help me get to where I'm at and door-to-door. -door. Yeah, I think that failing piece is really important for people to just understand because I think the reason most people – they don't go out there and, you know, be elite at anything, let alone multiple different industries and spaces. It's because they're not willing to fail at something before they're really good at anything. And what people need to realize is whatever you're doing, whether it's sales, baseball, entrepreneurship, a parent, you know, a boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, right? Like if you're not practicing and taking massive action and just putting in the work, you're never going to fail. Therefore, get rid of that stigma that failing is something negative and failing is something that you shouldn't do. Because as you know, and myself, the only way to be successful in anything is to fail. And it's typically the person that wins is not the person that doesn't fail. It's the person that fails more than the other person you know is willing up. to even try yeah for sure i agree with that 100 percent. i mean that was amazing what you just said in the way that you said it um yeah i don't know if i could have said it better it's the it's the failure you have to fail to get better you know there's no way around it no, no successful person has had that straight line of just win 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 success 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 and i think about it now like in my real estate journey a little bit i've had really good purchases in real estate and then we started this flipping company this year and Nobody knew what the market was going to, that it was going to do it as fast as it did it, you know, turn. 
Um, so we're learning a lot through that right now. And some people are like, are you scared? Are you this? And I'm not scared because even if I don't earn the profits that I thought I was going to earn, I learned so much through this time. And this is like the first, you know, real recession, housing market recession that we've dealt with in our young 28 years of life. Um, so more than anything, the learning aspect of, you know, how to handle it, how to get through it, um, what happens when things like this happen, like I wouldn't trade it any other way. Yeah, no, for sure, man. Where do you where do you think that uh, that calm composure comes from? Is that from previous ventures? Because you know, I'm I'm a firm believer too in you know trusting the process. And you know, to your point, there's no overnight successes. You know, anyone who's accomplished anything big in life has gone through more trials and tribulations than you know the other person that quit along the way. But where does that trust and that faith come from for you, knowing that things will work out, even maybe in the face of adversity? I think it's. Uh faith in myself. Uh, it's faith in betting on myself at all times. Mm. And then also, if you put that away, like what is the worst case scenario? Let's just say we lost everything. You know, you go bankrupt, you get foreclosed on you, whatever you lose everything, you know, we still have an avenue. We still have a skill set that if you lost your entire team, you lost your entire portfolio, you lost everything. You can just get back out there and start knocking on doors again and, uh, you know, earn whatever income you want and then start again. And, uh, I mean, some people don't start, you know, with what we're doing till they're 50, 60 years old. So worst comes to worst, we do lose everything. And I, you know, this is worst case scenario. We have the skill set to where we can just do it all over again. Yeah. It's that self-confidence, man. It's betting on yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when it comes to door to door, I know, you know, Brody, obviously your cousin, that was why you were normally attracted to it. You saw him, you know, make some sales, make some money. He probably made that day what you were probably making in a few weeks or a month at your, your nine to five was that door to door experience initially. Was that scary to you? What initially, you know, attracted you to it? Cause it's, it's one thing to see someone, you know, make money or have success, but it's another thing to really commit to it. I think it was, um, a little bit scary, but at the same time I saw him do it. And my mentality is if, if he can do it, I can do it better. Mm. You know, uh, I just need to learn from him. I just need to, I need to talk to him and, and if he can do it, I'll do it better. You know? So I think it was a little bit scary, but I also think I'm the type of person. This is what I tell any guy that I bring into my office too, is you have to jump in with two feet. If you have one foot in one foot out, if you have one foot in your old job, one foot in this new job, you're not giving either job the best you, you know? So, uh, for me, scary yes uh but was that scary enough to like not do it absolutely not yeah i think that's the difference right of, of bravery you know bravery a lot of people think is not feeling fear but a lot of brave people would actually say the opposite bravery is feeling fear and then doing it anyway i remember when i first got started in door to door back in 2015 no sales experience. I had a little bit of network marketing experience before. So, you know, my identity was worked on a little bit. I had a little bit of personal development, but nothing super crazy because I never really made money. And I just remember those first initial weeks were one of the most challenging things that I ever went through. And for me, it was like me against me. I had to conquer this in order for me to almost prove to myself that I am worthy of accomplishing the things that, you know, I set out to do previously for that. When you first got into door to door, was that just something that you thought was going to like pay the bills or did you see the vision and what was possible for you right away? I would agree with you on the first couple of weeks were hard. I remember sitting on a curve. I remember looking at my iPad, looking at flights back home. Uh, I definitely remember having that feeling. And, and I think anybody 
that's done door to door has felt that for sure. Uh, but no, as far as paying the bills, it's, I mean, I've never been one to just want to pay the bills. It's always, I want to create the legacy. Like we were just talking about, I want it to be, I want to have more life. You know, I, I want the extravagant things in life. I want, uh, my wife to have it all. I want, you know, my son to have it all and whatever I need to do. That's why I transitioned out of the nine to five was I'm willing to sacrifice right now while I'm the youngest I'll ever be and, and give everything that I can right now mm. to, uh, you know, have what I want in the future, you know, mm. and uh, whatever the quote is, you know, do what people won't do now. So you can have what, you know, they don't have later, uh, sits it, that hits home for me for sure. Cause I mean, and I also think once I get to that, you know, extravagant lifestyle or whatever that looks like to me right now, I, I don't think I'll stop. I think it's one of those things that I'll just continue to, uh, I mean, fulfillment and growth are those, those are the two things for me that I just got to be feeling to, to feel like I'm con contributing to society. Where do you think that comes from? Cause you know, we both went to high school out here. We're both pretty similar in age and you know, probably majority of our friends from high school, maybe our friends from college, maybe don't have that same outlook. Maybe, you know, they're okay doing the nine to five and, you know, kind of conforming to traditional corporate America, which there's nothing wrong with that. But where do you think that fire and ambition comes from for those that want more than what the status quo is giving us? It's a great question. Um, yeah, I think it really just comes from like the legacy. And, and I also think it, it, the bravery that we talked about, the fear, I think a lot of people uh, can't do what we do, you know? So it is not for everybody. And, and the things that we deal with from, you know, a stress management, from a leadership, from just regular management, um, it's not for everybody. And the late nights and the early mornings and uh, the things that we do are, is the reasons why we get paid what we get paid. Um, but for me, I've, I've always wanted that from the time I was young, it was professional baseball player, wanted the fame, wanted people to look at my legacy and, you know, hall of famer, all that, lots of, you know, wealth. And, and so once I left baseball, it was just, you know, continue what, what can I do next? I might not be as famous in the camera's eye. Um, but how can I provide as much value to other people to where maybe I'm, I, they look at me that way. Um, would be my answer to that. Did you, uh, Tyler, did you grow up in an affluent family or was like Brody your main kind of like perspective when it came to success? Brody. Brody. My dad was a, um, he was an accountant for Hilton hotels, a very secure job, made really good money. He was the breadwinner. Uh, my mom worked at Starbucks for a while. She worked at a few property management places, um, as like a receptionist and I had a very, very, very good childhood. Like we were taken care of. We had a nice house. We had the golden retriever. You know, my parents drove nice cars, but it wasn't, uh, you know, they had millions in real estate. Uh, they were, you know, my dad was an accountant, so he was maybe a little bit more frugal from the sense of that's all he did all day was manage Hilton Hotels account books. And uh, so I think we were the way that we were because he was that way, but we were definitely not, um, extremely wildly wealthy yeah but again very good childhood no for sure man I, I would agree you know my my parents uh very not the greatest financial situation but when it came to support love making sure that I had everything I need you know they were absolutely the best and I feel like a lot of my fire and desire and you know just willingness to sacrifice in order to you know give up a little bit to go up comes from my childhood and how I was raised for me, I didn't really have um, 
a good example. I got a wealthy uncle in New York, but I think it's important for people to realize, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have someone, you know, in your family or in your circle um, who is winning at a high level, the easiest thing to do is just model them and pick their brain. But regardless of whether or not you need or that you have those people, the fortunate thing is we live in the 21st century now, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years ago, you know, social media was a thing, but not really the internet was, you know, really popping off. But the fact that we can now model people from our smartphone or from our cell phone and get that inspiration, get that knowledge, get that, that fire, I think is so underrated. Most people use social media um, and technology as a more of a distraction than an actual advantage. Do you feel like growing up, since we are the same age, social media and just having uh, the access to successful people helped you get to where you are? Of course. Yeah. I mean, all I think winning is, is just taking someone that's doing what you want to be doing and then just go talk to them, go pick their brain, go ask them, what did they learn? How did they get to where they're at? You know, in, in sales in specific, that's all it is. If you want to be a top producer, just go reach out to a top producer and say, hey, what are some things that you learned? It's not what's the secret sauce? What's the secret pitch? What's this? It's just go ask them what they're doing. And they might have some sort of something for their pitch or for this that can help you. But uh, I think that's that's all it is. And having the, you know, looking up on YouTube and listening to Tony Robbins, which I do almost every single day, um, having that ability, looking up these books that we can, you know, listen to and read at the, you know, drop of a dime just by looking up on our phones. Absolutely. 100%. How has personal development impacted your life? It's funny. I talk about this a lot too. Um, I've been doing personal development since I was probably 17. I had this really good mentor in my life. His name was Ronnie Berkey. Um, he was my strength trainer mm. in, in high school, baseball strength trainer. Shout when, out Ronnie. You know, do you know Ronnie Berkey? I don't No, but sh shout out to Ronnie Berkey. He's amazing. Um, very minimalist, but just uh, yoga guy, meditation guy. Um, and he started just kind of drilling it into my brain at 17. Like I need to be uh, personal development. I need to, I need to work on my mind at all times to be the best. Cause that's where the advantage comes from. Uh, so since I was 17, I've, I've pretty much been meditating every day and, you know, I'll say, you know, 250 to 300 times a year, obviously meditation is a practice. It comes and goes. Um, but since I was 17 years old and, uh, now it's just a part of my life. I can't imagine it without it. And it, it's the same thing for, you know, reading, I'm a very big reader as well. I know you are, as well, you're very good to, you know, just quote some of these books and which is amazing. Um, but yeah, all that stuff. I remember when I got into Vivint, uh, Brody taught me, you know, the top 10. I had never done a top 10 ever in my entire life before. And I got into Vivint uh, and I was kind of looking around the room. I, I was coming from professional baseball, playing in front of being around a lot of wealthy athletes, uh, you know, chains, diamonds, all that stuff, cars. And then I see these guys doing like writing their top 10 goals in a, you know, a, a little apartment in Waco, Texas or Temple. And I'm like, this is kind of a joke a little bit, you know, like what are these guys doing? But committed to it, started doing it. And now the top 10 is one of the you know top things that I do every single day. And I actually just accomplished one of my my biggest top 10 things that I wanted to do uh, from a career standpoint this year, which was install over 100 accounts. Uh, which anybody, big time, man. which, yeah, anybody in the solar, thank you. Anybody in the solar industry knows a uh, hundred accounts. It's not easy. It's no joke. Um, while managing, while running the team, doing all that. Um, actually I just had one Oh six going today. So, um, yeah, hit it, surpass it. And it's just cool to just kind of check it off, 
you know, and there's business, there's personal, there's financial, there's, there's all that stuff. But I mean, I would say personal development is on the top of my list of, you know, if someone say, Hey Tyler, why are you so successful? Or why have you, you know, gained this much success since you've been doing it? Uh, I would just say, because I'm open to that, I'm constantly working on my mind and my brain and just knowing that, uh, growth is, is what gets me going. It, it just fires me up. Man, I love that. There's a lot to dissect there, but I mean, Jimmy Rohn says it best, you know, the, the harder you work on yourself, you know, the more input, the more success you're going to have, right? Average people work hard on their jobs. Successful people work hard on themselves. And it's so just traditional, you know, every person I have on the show, every successful person that I talk to, you know, the, the top producers on my team and in my company and my mentors, everyone is just avid, relentless when it comes to personal development and feeding their brain just as much as they feed their body. And it's so interesting to me because they're like, it's not secrets, you know, the, the formula is there. You know, if you want to get in shape, you want to, you know, get a six pack, right? Go that's to the gym five days a week. You that's know? what I was just going to say to, to the, uh, as well as, yeah, I didn't even mention the gym just because that's just a staple, you know, like I was talking about everything else as far as the reading and the meditation, but like the gym, I mean, that's an absolute must. I would tell anybody, anybody, anywhere, uh, if you want more success, go to the gym. Absolutely. <laughs> that's it. And, and even if it's, if it's hard in the beginning, if it's for 15 minutes, if it's for 20 minutes, if it, it doesn't matter, go to the gym, go exercise, you know, because the way that you feel after, I can't tell you how many times I've woken up in the morning just feeling not like doing anything. But the second I get in there, I get through the hard thing in the day, I get my workout in. And I'm more in my body than, you know, in my mind. It's just, I mean, it's a game changer. You feel better. You look better. You feel like other people think you look better, you know. So all that stuff comes into confidence. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, the, the wellness stuff, man, is, is so important. I didn't, I didn't honestly know that about you when it came to, you know, your mentor and teaching you about just meditation and mindfulness. I would say in hindsight, over my 10-year career in direct sales, a big contributor to the person I am today and some of the success I've been able to have is just my ability to go zen and be very stoic and be able to just manage my emotions and make sure I'm grounded so whatever challenges whatever adversity whatever things I need to accomplish that day I bring my best self to that situation and most people they're not able to go accomplish the things they want to because they're running on e you know they only have 50 percent in the tank because they're not you know, tending to themselves. How, how big is self-care in terms of like your ritual and, you know, meditation and mindfulness that equates to hitting these massive goals, like a hundred installs, flipping X amount of houses, et cetera. Yeah. I think looking inward is what a lot of people lack, you know, and it's just what you said. I think a lot of people look outward to, uh, what's going on to me. This is happening to me instead of like looking in and of how can I be the best self today? How can I, bring as much value to others instead of how much value can others bring to me, mm. you know? And, and I think that's really the mindset shift that I've had in the last, even, you know, two years, I would say there's a lot of times where I've been, what can this guy do for me? And then I'll maybe give him a little bit back or, I'll, you know, like what can he do for me? And then I'll give him my attention. Right. And I think the biggest shift in the last few years has just been, how can I just go and give as much value and be the best person to all these people around me? Because naturally they will want to reciprocate that exact that exact same feeling, you know. A lot of people don't necessarily care what you say. I know you've heard this one too. They they care about how you make them feel, you know. 
And if you can make someone feel special, good, heard, whatever that is, they're going to want to do the same back. So uh, I know kind of jumping back to the question was the ritual and, you know, how important is that to me and maybe how much does that help the success? And I mean, 100%, if I, I don't do it, if I'm not waking up, uh, hitting the gym, hitting the sauna, uh, reading, meditating, uh, I know the cold plunge thing. I know you got one of them here. Game changer. I've been doing that quite a bit. The gym I go to in Austin has one. Uh, I've been doing it out here in the pool that we got at the Airbnb. Uh, but just doing all those things to for myself, you know, for me to be able to be my best self for others. If I don't do those things, then, I mean, I'm doing a disservice to my wife. I'm doing a disservice to my team, my son, um, all that stuff. And And if it takes an hour, if it takes to whatever it takes, I need to do those things. And Paige understands she gives me, you know, the time, hey, go do those things because I always come back better in a better mindset, a better state. I'm, t- I'm telling myself a better story, um, all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I would, it, it's, it's critical in hitting those, those milestones. Yeah, man, it's the non-negotiables. You know, it's, it's the things, I forget the quote exactly, but it's people are praised in public for what they practice in private. Everything that you just talked about, you know, the consistent routine in the gym, the mindfulness, the reading, the the programming your mind with thoughts of abundance and inspiration, the modeling of successful people that are in your proximity. Like those are the things that allow someone like yourself to go install a hundred installs in a year. Those are the things that allow the people driving the Ferraris and the Lamborghinis and have the rental properties and have the nice watches. It's not the external to your point. It's just the internal work that they're doing consistently. Now, how long did it take you to to build those habits? Because I think a lot of people listening intrinsically know what they need to do to be successful, right? Whether it's in our industry, which is door-to-door direct sales solar or whatever industry they in, I think there's a set science, a formula. If you do X, Y, and Z, you'll be successful, yet they don't have the discipline, the habits aren't built strong enough yet, or they just don't have the straight desire in order to do those things. How do you feel like you cultivate the desire in order to execute the things that they know they should be doing, but yet they're not doing? Yep. I think it comes back to self-discipline and self-motivation. Uh, I think a lot of people lack that. And, and the, the biggest thing, you said a few things in there, the abundance part that you were talking about, one of my words for 2022 was abundance. And every single year I, I do goal planning at the beginning of the year, and it's not because I lacked off at the end of the year and I need to redo anything. It's just to sit down with Paige and myself and figure out what do I want to accomplish this year? Cause if you don't know what you want to accomplish, you're just going to get somewhere, you know? Um, so abundance is so critical from a mindset standpoint where I feel like most people have a scarcity mindset. I feel humans natural tendencies are scarcity mindset, right? So it is something that has to be worked on every single day because if we don't, naturally we start to fall back into the scarcity mindset, right? Um, So, you know, as far as the self-discipline and the self-motivation goes, I think it goes back to the routine and stuff of, you know, waking up and really just figuring out what you want and are you willing to go do it Go do what you know you need to do. That's the hardest thing. Anybody that's a door knocker will know they've had days where they w- they wake up, they know they need to go knock, but they do not. Sure. You know, and I think that is the the separator is the people that know what they need to do and just do it no matter how they feel. Right. Whether their mind is telling them they want to go to the bar, whether their mind's telling them they want to go 
uh, to dinner with friends, whatever it is, if they know that their goal is 60, 80, however many installs, uh, and they're not there, they're not tracking, they know they need to go out and work, but they don't, right? Uh, and then the true top performers, and you know, this was one of the questions we were talking about, I think the true top performers, it's just opposite. If, if they know they need to go work, they go do it. One of my biggest words that I've been thinking about for 2023 is going to be discipline. You know, abundance was 2022. Discipline is going to be 2023 because, I mean, I want to buckle down harder than I've ever buckled down ever in 2023 and just see how disciplined I can be for as long as I can be. Because I think those two things, discipline and consistency, are, are what separate people. You know, so, I mean, to kind of get back to it, I just think, you know, how do people... What do they need to do? It, it's developed over time, and it starts with small things, I would say. Committing to a cold shower, committing to reading 10 pages a day, committing to these little things, and then when you can do those consistently, then you start adding things on top of that. Whether it's working out instead of for 30 minutes, it's working out for an hour. Instead of reading 10 pages a day, it's reading 20 pages a day. Instead of working for four hours a day, it's working for eight hours a day, right? It's just you have to kind of commit to yourself to do something, and then when you do it, you almost like check it off and, and internally, you know, okay, I can do that. Then you add a little bit more and a little bit more. I think if you, you know, get a guy or a girl and say, okay, hey, your habits are very poor. You need to do this list of 10 different things every single day. It's going to be overwhelming. Sure. Right. They're, they're not going to be able to stay on track because it's going to be so overwhelming and, and they're just going to quit. Right. So instead of 10 different things, maybe it's one thing, you know, today, one thing, tomorrow, one thing, the next day. And then once you get good at keeping that commitment and keeping that promise to yourself, then adding more. Yeah. Keeping that promise to yourself, man. I feel like out of all the things that have, that I've learned over the last two or three years, I would say the most impactful thing, habit, ritual that I've been able to cultivate, not always, but I do my best is when I say something, I do it. You know, Ed Milet would call that how you build self-confidence. The four agreements talks about being impeccable with your word. Yeah. You know, it's spun so many different ways, but I think the issue with most people when it comes to building these winning habits, because it's it's not rocket science. You know, you can Google how to become a millionaire on, on Google, and there'll be 10 to 15 steps on how you actually do it. But to actually be consistent with those habits and those rituals and those those values are the challenging part. But the way you do that, to your point, is you go out and you say you're going to do something, a small goal, a small victory, a small win, and then you accomplish that. And then you get 1% more confident. Your self-esteem goes up a little bit. Your self-image starts to you know, change a little bit. And then over time, that compound effect, that consistency will start to build. And then over a year, two years, five-year period, you look back at your life and it's completely different. But most people aren't willing to take that first step, that first change, get uncomfortable doing that that number one thing. Um, and that's unfortunately why they have no big change in their life. And I think when you become that person, you become a person that does hard things. Mm. And, and I think that's what it takes to be successful is you have to do the hard things. You don't want to say you have to do the nitty gritty work. You have to do. I tell people all the time, if somebody told me they give me a dollar to clean a toilet, I'd go clean a million toilets, you know, Uh if it's knocking doors, it's knocking doors. I don't need the sexy job. I don't need the sexy anything, you know, as far as like the work standpoint goes. Uh, I'm willing to do the hard stuff that other people aren't willing to do. 
um, because I, that's just who I am. I've always been that guy, and, and not always. I say it's, it's you know, grown and developed. You know, I take running a little bit. I just started running with a couple of my boys uh, in Austin, and, and I'm not a runner. I'm more of a lifter. I like to lift, and um, it's so hard. I mean, the first day we ran like four and a half miles and I like couldn't even walk the next day. Yeah. You know, and I, I think about how much of like a rookie I was in that. And then we went and did it again on Saturday. So it was like two or three days later. And then we ran six miles that day. And I was thinking like, wow, how much better I felt even on the second day than the first day. I mean, think about people who are just coming into this industry and they're, you know, their first weekend, second weekend, their second week, they feel better than their first week. But then you take guys like us that have been in it, you know, eight years, four years, um, all we have to do is just sit and stay consistent. If I run for the next year, I'm going to be a better runner at the end of 2023 than I was this month, you know? And that's like, I love that. I love the, the pushing myself. I love the growth of if I commit to something, if I do, it doesn't matter what it could be chess, uh, learning that it could be, you know, body. It doesn't matter if I put my mind to it, I can accomplish it. You know, yeah, yeah bro, because it's, it's that self confidence, it's that self trust, it's that identity that you've created with yourself. You're someone that believes when you set your mind to something, you accomplish it. Because up until this point, your track record reflects that. Most people, their track record doesn't reflect them being committed or consistent. They quit when things get challenging. Maybe they tried to do this network marketing company or they tried door to door for a little bit or they wanted to go move to this new state to take this new job, but they were scared because X, Y, and Z was going to happen. How do you think fear plays into people not achieving their potential? And how do you think people, the people that overcome that are able to manage those emotions better than the people that don't? Yeah, I think, I think fear is a funny word, uh, just because sometimes I get, you know, scared or nervous, or I feel fear even talking in front of people sometimes. And I've been doing it for, you know, you talk in front of people all the time. I'm sure you feel some of those feelings or did feel some of those feelings when you were first starting out. You Butterflies know? are still there. Exactly. And, and, and I get the same way, you know, there was even doing this podcast, I was not fearful of it, but there was multiple times where it was like, you know, oh, I could just go hang out with my son and my wife and say, hey, Stephen, maybe next time, you know. But I also told you, lock it in at three. So if I told you I'm going to be somewhere, I need to be there, mm. you know. Um, so, you know, I think fear, everyone deals with it. And that's where some people get it twisted. I think some people look at other people and, oh, he just doesn't get scared. He's just different. You know, he's just or she's just different. She was born different or her upbringing was different and no they still feel that same fear you know and just as you said they maybe just embrace it a little bit better and instead of running from it you know looking it in its eye and, and I think it's Ed Milet that talks about you know the angel and then you know the the devil a little bit and the devil saying you're not good enough you can't do this you can't do that and almost just becoming friends with that voice of I know it's going to come I know on my way to come film a podcast, I'm going to get a little butterflies because what are we going to talk about for the next hour? What are we going to say? Or, you know, it can be anything. Your mind will take you any direction, you know, but it's just more of, you know, hey, how can we just give the best version of ourselves today? Even if it's not great, we're doing the best that we can. And typically it always turns out great, you know, uh, but I think it's just more of uh, knowing it's going to be there, knowing that fear is natural, you know. And uh, maybe just trying to not be as scared of it, just understanding it will be there. But yeah, I mean, at the same time, there's, you know, fear will scare a lot of people out of accomplishing their dreams. And, and that's just a fact. Absolutely, man. Let's talk about door to door a little bit. Um, 
I think door to door is one of the most underrated, valuable industries, vehicles, platforms that you can talk about. Why do you think most people, one, don't do door to door direct sales? And two, why do you think there's this negative connotation to door to door? Yeah, I think it's it's the ego and it's the stigma of oh door to door that what I'm not going to go knock on someone's door and then them think I'm you know uh, just some solicitor or something. It's it's the ego, right? And um, I think a lot of people are really starting to understand how valuable door to door is, you know. So I think a lot of people know about it. I think where a lot of the fear really comes from is. I'm going to quit or I'm going to leave my comfortable salary hourly to go jump into something where I, I'm not guaranteed pay. Right. And I think that scares a lot of people and it goes back to the comfort zone. You know, if you're, if you're going to stay in your comfort zone, then how much growth is really, really going to happen? I think it's the same reason why people don't invest like we were talking about as well as much is because they're a little fearful of, well, what if I buy a bad deal? What, what if I, something goes wrong? What if, you know, the HVAC goes out and I don't have enough money or, you know, they're, they're just, there's always something that will talk someone off the ledge of anything. You know, uh, I tell when I'm closing solar deals and people, you know, they bring up things. I said, guys, listen, you, there's always something that can talk you out of this, but look at all the reasons that people are doing this. You know, look at why all these people are buying real estate right now. Look at why all these people are doing door to door right now. Um, but you know, I, I think it's just, I'm better than that. That's what people see when they, when they hear and they think of door to door is I'm just better than that. I, I would never stoop to that level. And then what I would tell them is, you know, sit in a room full of successful door to door men and women, uh, and, and see how that makes you feel. See if that doesn't inspire you. Cause I can tell you right now, if you sit in a room of your company's executives and you sit down with a couple door-to-door executives, it's going to be completely different. Yeah, man. Day and night. And I think you hit it, hit it right on the head. You know, it goes back to what you were talking about naturally, you know, as humans and intrinsically, right. We are fearful creatures. We are, we are, you know, in our comfort zone. Like that is how we were designed because, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands of years ago, we needed to protect ourselves from the saber toothed tigers and, you know, the wilderness and all the challenges of, you know, the, the urban day living of trying to survive day to day. But in the 21st century, we don't have any of those things. Now the modern day fears, challenges, the saber tooths are, you know, investing in that deal because I want to, but I'm scared to do it or taking that new opportunity because I'm not super satisfied with my current job. I'm comfy, but I don't like it. And just venturing to the unknown, which is, I think the reason that most people don't end up achieving their dreams, not because they're not capable, not because they're not worthy, but simply because they're not able to put themselves in a vulnerable situation to see if it's something that they're made of. Not. I think people need guarantees. I think a lot of people need guarantees and in door to door, there is no guarantees, right? So that's what scares a lot of people is you're not guaranteed anything, but then I would tell somebody, and I'm sure you would too. I mean, I can guarantee not to the dollar what I'm going to make, but I can guarantee roughly what I'm going to make this year. There's, there's no question in, you know, oh, I'm, I'm just not going to make money this year. You know, I, I'm willing to bet on myself and I can guarantee I'll make six figures every single year, if not more, getting close to seven figures, right? Every single year going forward because 
I've put in the time into this door-to-door space. I know what the job is. I know how to be successful in it. I know how to train other people to be successful in it. I know how to lead these guys now to be successful in it. And I think, you know, the guaranteed is what I tell a lot of people. Yeah, in the beginning, you're not guaranteed anything. But I can guarantee to you that if you commit to me and give me two feet in, you will be successful. No, 100%, man. And, and on the other side of that coin, you know, most people that are looking for that guarantee they don't even have it in their job and career. You know, it's a faulty sense of security. You know, look what happened with COVID. People got laid off. Look what's happening with inflation. Your boss isn't giving you a raise to offset all the inflation and how much things are costing. Look at Twitter. Yeah, look at Twitter, you know, right? Good old Elon. Like, I mean, those people thought they were safe, yes. you know, and then boom, they're gone. What are they doing right now? You know, I hope they're safe and everything's okay, but like they're searching for a job. We have the most recession-proof job security because we are the value. Yes. We provide the value, right? And we also sell a product that is, it's amazing. You know, we're saving people money. It's, it's, a, it's a necessity. Power is a necessity. And, you know, one of the questions was why, why solar? And, uh, you know, I did alarms for two years, and I was, I was very successful in it. My, my first year, I sold like 135, which I was rookie of the year in my region, uh, my second year, I did about 285. Um, so I was first. I was veteran of the year that year. My second year in competing against, you know, Colby Rawlings, Kelly Rawlings. I don't know if you know the Rawlings names or not, but, uh, you know, veterans that have been doing it for eight, nine, ten plus years. Um, and then I made the transition solar just because just the product in and of itself. I mean, alarms are nice, but they are luxuries to have. And anytime you're in a recession, people are going to the first thing they're going to cut is luxuries. They're going to cut the Netflix. They're going to cut the Fabletics. They're going to cut the any subscription that they do not need. Uh, they're going to cut if totally. it gets to that point, right? Um, and I think for solar, you know, it's it's just such a no brainer. I don't even need to be a great salesman to sell solar. Now, I would say I'm a great salesman. You know, no ego in there, but uh, you don't even really need to be that good of a salesman to sell solar. It sells itself. You know. Um, which is amazing. So uh, those two combined is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah, man, that, I'm so blessed. You know, I, I never got introduced to really anything. I did pest control with Austin for like three days and then I, and then I, uh, I hopped right into solar. So I never experienced really any other sales opportunity, but I don't think there's anything out there right now that really can, you know, obviously we're a little bit biased, but can combat the solar industry with the growth and the tax credit being extended 10 more years and everything going on with the EV electric vehicle movement. And just, I feel like as baby boomers start to kind of die off a little bit and, you know, our generation starts to go in just the shift in paradigm and the shift of consciousness to how things should be run. And if there's a way to generate energy which is a 1.3 trillion dollar sector without hurting the environment that's better for everyone why aren't more people switching to it and i think solar is just the best opportunity right now for anyone who doesn't matter you know what your past is doesn't matter where you come from or what degree you have or if you're a college dropout like myself it doesn't matter what your past shows it's all about what are you willing to do right now and there's not many careers you know door-to-door direct sales um, really any type of performance-based industry there's not many opportunities where you can come in coachable hungry and just willing to work your face off and go make a doctor salary a lawyer salary go make a ceo's salary where you're able to work for yourself be surrounded with ambitious 
good, motivated, driven people and save the earth and save people money. It's a pretty amazing opportunity. And it just feels so good having the skill set that we do, just knowing that it, it really does not ever matter what happens at this point now, because I can go sell mops door to door. I can yeah. go sell financial services door to door. I can go sell a vacuum door to door. It, it, it doesn't matter. Whatever the market needs at the time, I have the skill set to sell it, you know? So personally, that brings me so much comfort. We kind of go back to like the faith and the betting on yourself. And that brings me so much comfort that I will always be able to support my family, support myself, support, you know, friends around me. Like I will always be able to do that because of the skill set that we have. Aside from the product that we have, aside from the money that we earn, just that feeling of comfort uh, that you get from learning a skill set like sales. And then secondly, leadership, you know, I think they go hand in hand. Um, but yeah, having that skill set is, has brought me a lot of comfort. Yeah. It's funny. I remember a couple of years into uh, my door to door career, you know, a couple of people were joking. They're like, man, you could drop me off anywhere in the country, uh, off a plane with an iPad and a backpack, and I can go out there and produce and make money. And it is a very empowering feeling to have a skill set where you're not reliant on anyone else other than your own ability, your own grit and work ethic to go out there and produce. Now, solar is amazing. Door to door is amazing, right? Like it's an amazing industry. My question is with how amazing it is and all the support and all the upside and all the benefit of being good at this, why do you believe there's such a high attrition where so many people come into this industry fired up, I'm going to change my life, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and typically a year or two later, they're no longer in that industry? I would say the learning curve. Um, I would say in the beginning, the learning curve, and then secondly, them not committing to themselves long enough. You know, it's the old, you know, picture of the guy, you know, hammering for the gold and he gets right there and he's and then he leaves and walks back and then the next guy comes and hits it twice and he's got the gold. You know, I just don't I think we're in a time where people want success like that overnight and they think that you're an overnight success. They think Jay Z is an overnight success. They think I'm an overnight success. And, and that's not the case at all. I mean, your earnings this year compared to your earnings year number one are night and day different. And it didn't happen in one year, two years. It happened over eight years, right? And I think if you can just settle in, commit to yourself, bet on yourself, that's really where the true wealth and success comes from. And I just don't think people are really willing to do that. I don't think they're willing, or at least for long enough. You know, I think if they do it, I've, you know, seen some people with my own eyes that do it for two months and they're like, well, Tyler, I, I'm not selling as much as you are. And I'm like, you know, I've been doing this for four years. You know, it, it didn't happen like that. You're doing better than I was when I was there. So you kind of have to put that perspective into it. But I, I think it just comes down to a lack of discipline and a lack of time. You know, people just want it right now. And that's just not the way that it works. Yeah, no, I agree, man. I think they come in with the wrong expectation. You know, I'm fortunate. Before I got into solar, I did network marketing for three years. I made basically no money. I think I made $15,000 in three years uh, doing it almost full time. But I, what I was learning was discipline, communication, perspective, you know, entrepreneurship, learning about the law of attraction, like all these intangible skills that when I came into door to door, 
I applied those and things, you know, happen really, really quick. But one of the things that I'm super grateful for that I learned was looking at this as a business and not as just something that I'm going to come in and sell a little bit and make money. I think when people join a new opportunity, they don't come in with the right perspective. And the issue is when you don't come in with the right perspective, typically you don't take the right action. And when things, challenges occur, you don't have the right paradigm in order to handle that because you don't understand what you have in front of you. And as we know, when you take things, you know, things are taken for granted, you're not able to maximize what you have in front So for me, it was really understanding like, yo, this is a business. And just like if I would uh, invest a million dollars, you know, in a McDonald's, I realize I'm not going to get an ROI for two, three, four, five years. I need to learn how to process the meals and order the McPatties and learn all the nuances of the business. But eventually, once I get good at running it, there's going to be an ROI. But because direct sales or really anything that you get for free out of this life, there's no barrier of entry. People don't take it as seriously as they could. And therefore, they treat it like a hobby. So they get paid like a hobby. Yeah, I love that. The McPatties. The McPatties. That was a good one. Uh, Yeah, no, I think a lot of people, they look at it as like a summer fling. You know, they come in and someone is recruiting them. Oh, dude, you can go make $100,000 in four months. Come and do it. And that's the expectation that they have, just like you said, right? Um, as opposed to, Hey, come out here, you're going to learn a skill set, And I'm telling you, you're not going to want to do every, you're not going to want to do anything else ever again. You know? And I think if you come into it with a career mindset, and I think that's why you see some guys who maybe are a little bit older, uh, 26, 27, 28, or even older that might have a family, they come in and they're fully committed because they've, they've had a career previously. They've worked at a car dealership for four or five years and they know what the career lifestyle is. That's why I feel like sometimes those guys do maybe a little bit better is because they have the mindset of if I'm doing this, this is my career. And a lot of people think that a career in door to door is not sexy. So they just think of it as, well, I'm just going to go earn a couple hundred thousand dollars in the next couple summers while I'm going to school. Um, and then I'll find my real job, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and then that does happen sometimes, but then sometimes these guys, you know, they do it for a few years, drop out of college uh, and that's their career. And, and I would tell anybody uh, definitely hit me up on Instagram, you know, tbreezy33. I would say Vivint and, and any solar, you know, uh, career or job, that skill set is better than any other diploma. That skill set is in, is better than a four-year degree anywhere. I call it Vivint University. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think there's studies, or at least I think there are, <laughs> that two years of door-to-door is equivalent to, you know, a master's in communication because of all the skills you learn, resilience, hard work, keeping enthusiasm door-to-door, you know, learning how to influence and change a, stage, a stranger's state that had no intention of doing, you know, business with you, let alone talking to you for 15, 20 minutes. And I think the thing with communication that people don't realize is, and sales especially, is regardless if you're in the profession of sales, you have to learn how to be a good salesperson in life. Because anything you do, whether you're a father, you're going to sell your child on why they should, you know, be good. Yeah, eat healthier, go to bed on time, right? Um, You know, if you're trying to start a business or a nonprofit or, you know, even just a nine to five job and you want to have a better quality of work life and people to like you, you need to learn how to win friends and influence people. It's just the name of the game. So the fact that we're in the skill set of sales, I think is just, you know, cherry on top. That I love the the sales skill set's amazing. I think if you dive in just a little bit more, it's having transactional conversations. 
Mm. I, I think that's really what it comes down to. And for me is probably one of my favorite, favorite, favorite things that I've learned because I've taken that transact, the ability to have transactional conversations to then taking it to my uh, flipping company that I started to go raise money, you know, from people to help fund some of these deals, get them a return on their investment when these, you know, properties sell. But like just the ability that to, to do that, some people wouldn't even be able to do that. They'd say, Hey, do you want to give me $20,000? And, and here's what you can do. And, and they're going to say, absolutely not. Or, you know, you have this skill set and you sit down and you paint a picture and you build a vision on, and you know, you're going to be a partner on this with me and, and all that. It's, it's just so much more than like the average person that that skill set of being able to transact during a conversation is powerful. Mm, no, totally, man. Tyler, who do you have to be? And I'm phrasing that question specifically like this, not, not what do you have to do, but who do you have to be to be in the solar industry and capable of doing a hundred installs a year consistently? What I would tell my dog or what I would tell my guys is you got to be a dog. <laughs> Uh, but at, at the same time, you, you just have to be, uh, it's really not that hard. It is hard, but it's not complicated. It's, uh, you need to be disciplined for a long period of time. You need to have a good work ethic and a good attitude and you have to be able to take no, you have to be able to deal with adversity. Um, it, it's really not that complicated. I would just say I am more disciplined than most with my daily habits. Uh, I, I love to work, you know, I, I, I love the feeling of, working and, and, and producing income. Um, but it's just not getting discouraged. You know, it's, it's go from that door to door, knowing you're going to make money that day. And if you don't make money that day, you'll make it the next day and just staying disciplined to, to working. I think that's why environment like your office and the culture is so important in door to door, because if you don't have a good support system to go out and work and stay disciplined, it's very easy to fall off. Um, but I mean, who do you need to be is you just need to be disciplined, hungry, and self-motivated. Mm. How does belief fall into that? Because there's a lot of people probably, you know, listening to this that are like, yeah, well, that's easy for him to say, you know, he has X, Y, and Z, you know, he's gifted with X, Y, and Z communication skills. You know, he's had a, you know, a cousin mentor him. What, what would you say to those people that can't, that can't even fathom doing a hundred installs. Maybe they're doing 40 installs, 45 installs. They're a couple of years into this and they are putting in the hours. They feel like they're doing the work, but they're still, you know, falling short in a major way because of that belief gap. Yeah. I would just say if I can do it, anybody can do it. And we hear that all the time on these podcasts and these successful people, they say, you know, if I can do it, you can do it. But uh, I mean, I would just say, how disciplined are you really? You know, like, and only you can answer that question, whoever this person is that we're talking about, right? Only they can look themselves in the eyes and, and say, am I really doing what I should be doing? You know, nobody knows if you're knocking or not. Nobody, I mean, unless you have a car group driver, which, you know, a lot of times that is the way that it goes, but nobody knows if you're getting out of your car. Nobody knows if you're actually working the hours. No one knows if you're actually present while you're out there working you're not on instagram you're not on social media you're not you know just out there to walk around and hopefully run into something you know and i think the people who are very very good in this industry the second that they're out there one they're out there for probably more hours than most people right and that's just because if you're out there you're putting yourself in a position to uh be successful and, and close deals and then when they're out there they they're, they're not distracted they're not worried they're a chameleon in their neighborhood they they know John and Susie, you know, just pulled into their driveway and shut the garage, you know, and, and they're marking it down and they're 
waiting for later that night to go talk to them. They're maximizing their time. They're prospecting. Um, it's if you can do 40 or 50, you can do a hundred. Mm. It's just more time. Yeah. I talk about this a lot, but I usually say success in solar is half on the doors and half off the doors. It's obviously you need to put in the activity. You know, you could be the best salesperson in the world and close everyone. But if you're not out there, you know, on the pavement presenting, handling objections, you're not going to be able to utilize your skill set. But it's also off the doors. A lot of the stuff that you've been talking about when it comes to your habits and rituals, would you agree with that? Or is there a a ratio that in your experience you've found to the on the doors versus off the door success? Yeah. I mean, as I don't know, as far as a ratio goes, if I had to give one, I mean, I don't know, I'd probably say, yeah, 50, 50, 60, 40 ish, maybe. Um, it's important because your battery has to be charged when you're out there. You know, you have to be in a good state of mind, you, like I said it, you know, earlier, you have to be telling yourself a good story. And, you know, if all you're doing is eating, sleeping and working, you're not going to be that way. I think that's why sometimes the summer, uh, if you run a summer program, uh, can get to people because it's every single day you're on the doors at 11, you're getting off the doors at nine, you're going to sleep, you're waking up and you're doing it all over again. Right. Brutal. And, uh, it's tough for sure. And, and I've done that. I've run a summer every single year and I've done the year round program after the summer goes. Right. So, uh, I love the summertime. I love the mundane grind of work. Uh, it's very similar to a minor league season. Uh, every single day we're on the bus, we're going to the field, we're taking batting practice, we're showering, we're playing, we're sleeping and we're doing it all over again the next day in a different city, you know? So I love it to an extent. Um, and I think what allows me to love it is the discipline and the routine, you know, because I am waking up and t- taking care of my mind. I am going to the gym. I am reading. I am planning the the meetings. I am doing all these others, other things besides just working. So I definitely think there there is a balance. 100% there's a balance, right? What the ratio and what the split is, I think might be different for everyone. And what charges some people may not charge other people. Uh, some people might like to play music and that gets them in the right state. You know, Meek Mill gets me in the state sometimes. Uh, some people might um, like to play chess. Some people might like to do other things to get them really going, you know. Um, but I do think that there is a balance. You need to you go out and have a nice dinner during the summer. You need to be able to go out and do these things to kind of decompress, relax, to be able to give the best version of yourself on the doors. Couldn't agree more, man. Let's pivot a little bit. Let's talk about real estate. You know, there's there's a lot of guys I work with, door-to-door direct sales, who crush it when it comes to solar, alarms, pest, you know, timeshares, whatever industry that they're in. But I think there's a difference, as we both know, between being really good at making earned income and then figuring out a way to make, you know, recurring income, passive income, and then investing that money. Yep. It wasn't until... 2018, where I actually really started to take the principle of not just I need to focus on making money, but I need to figure out how to keep that money and duplicate it. Because I remember being, you know, two years into my solar career, I was doing well, I was running a top team team, you know, as first year, I made over six figures. Uh, At the time, I thought it would change my life, but it actually didn't. And then at the end of that year, I realized I had like $6,000 in my bank account and my rent was 3,500. So I literally had no money at the end of making what I thought at the time, all this money. So I had to learn the hard way, like most people in this industry that, hey, this is only one step of the formula, which is earning money. And then it's figuring out a way to duplicate that money, which it seems like you're doing a really good job at. What attracted you to real estate and just that investing mindset coming from direct sales? 
Yeah, so one of the most profound things that I heard when it came to real estate was uh, if your legs were to break right now, would you make any income? And the answer is no, right? Because we need to go out there and we need to walk around and we need to knock on doors. So, you know, we need the physical body to be able to do that. So, you know, if your legs are broken or you're sick or you're ill and you have this passive income coming in, you know, you really don't have to do anything. If you're not making money while you sleep, you know, um, you're going to have to work till you die. You're going to you, exactly, you're gonna have to work till you die. I was trying to think of what the rest of it was. But, I got you. You know, thank you. Um, so, yeah, that really kind of stood out to me is like, you know, if, if something worst case scenario was happening, let's say, I, you know, got in a car accident, this, how am I going to take care of my family, you know? Um, and this was, this was four years ago, you know, this is Brody Fawcett telling me this. So, uh, it just really stuck, stood out to me. And, uh, ever since then, that's all I've been focused on is how can I build as much passive income as possible? Even with this flipping company that we started, the, the reason that we started it was to take our income, flip the income and then take our earnings to go buy long-term real estate, right? It was never to be, oh, let's just be a massive flipping company. It was let's do some flips throughout the year to be another stream of income to then go put that money towards long-term real estate, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, that really stood out to me. And, you know, I think a lot of people, like we were talking about earlier, they don't do it because they're scared. There can be anything that will talk you out of it. And it's the fear of that. Um, and then secondly, I just think it's the knowledge. I don't think a lot of people um, really know how easy it is. You know, uh, it's not hard to buy real estate. You know, I think there are some things that you need to know as far as if you come in and you're, you know, you need two years in the door to door unless you have a creative financing option. Um, but other than that, like house hacking, that was the first thing that I did. Um, it's so easy. I mean, I was under the impression that if I needed to buy a house, I needed a hundred thousand dollars in my bank account. I needed even more to, in case anything was to break and all this stuff. Right. And, you know, I bought a house in San Antonio, the first house after my first summer, um, I had some creative financing options, but, uh, I think we put down like 13 or $14,000. It was a $180,000 house. We had to pay off a, a little bit of, um, the person who co-signed with us, is debt to get the ratio right. Um, so it was a little bit more than that. But I mean, that house, we just cashed out refied on that house. The payment stayed the same because we had some mortgage insurance on it because we put such a low, we put like three and a half percent down. Uh, so payment stayed the same. We cashed out like 40 or 50,000. We helped, that helped us buy another property that we moved into in Austin. Um, so it's, it's just really crazy how easy it is. And I also think uh, teaching yourself knowledge, all that stuff. But it's also, you're never going to know it all. You know, you're going to know 60%, you're going to know 70%. And then once you do it, you're going to learn, you know, and, and learning is just as important as earning. Yeah. What's, what's the real estate quote it says, don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. Yep. And you know, I, I wish I started buying before, you know, I have uh, three properties right now uh, in Las Vegas, all single family. I'm invested in a multifamily syndicate in the Midwest um, I have a property uh, in Ecuador that me and my girlfriend bought with her family. But yeah, I'm really itching to get a new one, man. I, I feel like for me, the real estate investing side has almost fueled my solar side even more. Because as you know, doing direct sales for so long, you have to almost create new things to energize you, right? You know, that new car, that new house, right? that doesn't really, you know, maybe a new house, but that new car, that new watch, right? That stuff doesn't really excite me anymore. You know, yeah, it's cool. I get my dopamine hit for a little bit, but what really excites me is, okay, I need to go crush it in solar this quarter, this year, 
right? Do whatever I can to increase my earned income because I know that earned income will produce X amount of passive cash flow or get me into this property that could potentially appreciate to, you know, a certain, you know, net worth, which will get me closer to my ultimate goal, which is freedom. And for some reason, this is what I try and teach my team. But a lot of people, until they get that first house, to your point, they don't understand one, how easy it is, um, and two, how fun it can be. And you can allow it to leverage that to increase your production and what you're doing, you know, currently. I think it really compounds too. You know, I think once you get your first one and you realize how easy it is um, and how really big it could be, um, it, it does compound pretty quickly. But I would agree with you. I mean, it, it definitely fuels me to go earn more money so that I can go and buy more real estate. You know, with everything that's going on in the market right now, everyone's saying, stack your cash, stack your cash. So, because this is going to be one of the best times to buy here in the next 12 months. You know, people are going to be getting foreclosed on. There's going to be a lot of, there's going to be a lot of action in my mind for investors uh, in the real estate market in the next 12 months, you know, um, which is exciting. And it, it's also cool because our industry and our job, there is no cap. So if there ever was to be a situation where your, your back was against the wall, your cash was running out, whatever it was, you know that you can go and earn whatever you want that next month, that next week, that next day, right? Uh, which is, it's amazing for me because, you know, I, I, the house that I bought in Austin, I bought it from a, a guy named Carlos that flipped it. And, uh, you know, he owns a flipping company as well. And, you know, he's a, he's a nurse and uh, his properties weren't selling, so he had to get foreclosed on, mm. you know, which is tough. And uh, it's just tough to know that, you know, you're capped at whatever your salary is. And, uh, you know, you have the next six months of interest payments. And if it doesn't sell, you're, you're going to have to give it up. You know, for yeah. us, you know, it's just very, we can go earn what we want. We can go, if we know we have X amount in, in payments, whether it's a mortgage, whether it's interest, that doesn't matter. Uh, and go double that, go triple that, go quadruple that by putting in the time and the, the effort. Yeah. What advice would you give to the second year, you know, rep or sales consultant or whatever industry uh, these individuals are in? They've been doing this two years. They have a little bit of money saved up. What advice would you get give them to get into maybe more on the investing side than, you know, just real estate in general? Yeah. House hack all day long. That would be my number one um, piece of advice to anybody is buy your own house, stop paying rent. Um, I know, I know a few other people have different strategies where, you know, they buy maybe cheaper homes and they still rent or whatever their, their strategy is. But my tip of advice would be buy a house below your means, which means if you can afford a $400,000 house, you buy a $200,000 house. You don't need to maximize your debt to income house. Number one, you don't need to have this crazy payment, you know, house number one, you know, like I said, the first house we bought, I think it was 170 or $180,000. We could have bought a really nice house, uh, but we didn't. And it wasn't this white picket fence. It was in a middle to even lower class neighborhood, but that's where people rent. They're not renting mega mansions. You know, if you go buy a $700,000 house, the opportunity for you to rent that is probably lower because people who live in $700,000 neighborhoods own their homes. Sure. They're typically not renting, Right. Um, so I would say that's going to be super important. And then in the beginning, I mean, you can have your, you know, boys or your friends or whatever living in the house with you paying off 50, 60, 70% of your mortgage while your equity is going up. And, you know, let's just say you buy a $200,000 house out here, wherever you're at your payments 
fourteen, fifteen hundred dollars, whatever it is, and you it's a three bedroom, two bath, and you rent out the two other bedrooms to your boys for, you know, five hundred dollars each, right? There goes a third or more of your mortgage and now you're paying five, six hundred or whatever the difference is in that uh, to own instead of that thirty five hundred dollar rent that's in the penthouse on the strip or whatever it is, you know? And there's just so much, I mean, you have an asset, there's, you then have a little bit more leverage. There's, there's just a lot that goes with that. And then whenever you move out of there, you've lived in it for a year, you just go do it again. Right. And now that thing is bringing you in $500 of cash flow, and your new payment is $2,000. You house hack it again. And now it's really only $1,500 because you have 500 of cash flow coming from your old property. And that's kind of what I mean by, um, you know, the compounding effect and all that stuff. And real estate gets me fired up too. Even just sitting here talking about it gets me fired up. Yeah, man. When it comes to down payments, you know, I get asked this a lot. They're like, hey, do I do I do an FHA loan in that strategy for my first house? Or should I put down, you know, 10% to get a lower payment or 20% if I have it to get rid of the, the PMA? What do you think when it comes to down payment? Are you a maximum leverage kind of guy? Meaning put the least amount into that possibly as a, a property as possible. So you have more money for more, or are you trying to fluff that payment down a little bit? I'm trying to put as little down as I possibly can. That way I can go buy two, three, four other properties. You know, I mean, let's take that $200,000 house uh, scenario. You put 20% down on that, that's $40,000. Yeah. Your payment might be a little bit lower, whatever, but even if it's cash flowing $200, then, and you were able to put three and a half percent down, which is, you know, 15,000 or whatever it is, $10,000. Um, then you can, instead of 40, you now put $10,000 down and you can go buy two or three more. Right. Um, so my strategy is definitely, even if you have it, you know, if you have $200,000 in the bank or even a hundred thousand, whatever it is, and you know, your down payment is 10,000 or 20,000, you don't need to put 20% down. Right. And, and as far as an FHA or conventional, get what you can get. If you can get a three and a half percent FHA, ride it, do it, you know, and if it's a 5% conventional, do it. In today's market where I'm curious for you though, what, yeah. what, what is your strategy on that? What would you say on that? I'm similar, um, in terms of that. So like for this house, I put 10% down, but my other two properties, I, I put 20% down because I needed to, um, at that time. Plus I was a little less experienced when it came to real estate. Um, but the more that I get into real estate and the more that I study it, I am definitely on your end when it comes to, um, you know, just maximizing leverage. You know, the thing that really, it goes cash on cash return, cash on cash, return. right? Like if yeah. you're putting little cash in, uh, compared to putting more cash in your cash on cash isn't as good and cash on cash is really what it's all about and and cash flow totally the thing that really sold me on real estate and I think I understood this but I didn't really like understand it until like two three years ago when I was comparing uh, I forgot which video is probably Grant Cardone um, but when it comes to like investing right obviously there's a lot of different assets classes you you can invest in real estate stocks crypto businesses you know watches gold you know whatever. The cool thing about real estate, though, that really sold me on using this as like my primary, you know, freedom investment um, class, asset class, was if you go buy $100,000 worth of Amazon, you know, you get $100,000 worth of Amazon stock, right? If it goes up, it appreciates great. If it goes down, you know, not so great, but that's all you get. If you go buy a million dollar house 
and you put down $100,000, same money being deployed, but now you get the appreciation on a million dollar asset, not just a $100,000 asset. So when it comes to maximizing leverage, it made so much more sense to me because regardless what you put down to get into the deal, whatever your, your money that you deployed in there, as long as obviously you're not overextending yourself with the payment and it makes sense, cash flows if you're renting it out, if you live there, you're able to float it, whatever, you're still getting the appreciation on the same principle without you having to deploy as much money. So if you can do that at scale over a long enough time horizon, that's when the wealth the wealth starts to get crazy. Yeah, that's a mic drop. That's a bomb right there. I mean, it's leverage. That's, yeah. that's one of the biggest, um, that's one of the best parts of real estate, you know, is is leverage and, and how just as you said, and, and Brody just had this big event that he put on with Real Estate Investing School and you know, that was the the common theme that a lot of these guys were talking about is, you know, if you want a hundred thousand stocks or watches, you gotta put a hundred thousand dollars down. If you want, you know, a hundred thousand in real estate, you gotta put ten thousand dollars down, you know, or, or less, three and a half thousand dollars down, five thousand dollars down, right? So uh yeah, leverage is going to be one of those big motivations and one of the best parts of real estate for sure. Yeah. Tyler, I'm curious on this because I've heard uh mixed um perspectives on it. So one of the benefits, of course, of real estate compared to, again, other assets classes is um, those those tax write-offs, right? You're able to depreciate it if it's a rental, right? Rentals and stuff like that. But the depreciation aspect of that um, is legit because you're able to deploy money, especially if you're in solar and sales. Chances are you're on a higher tax bracket, so you're able to offset some of that earned income with an investment um, into real estate. When it comes to a term that I've learned over the last couple of years called cost segregation, um, which I think is thrown around in the real estate industry a lot. Some people say, hey, you know, you can depreciate the whole thing in the first year as long as you do cost segregation. Other people say, hey, you have to wait 27 and a half years. So you have to take that year by year. You're obviously a real estate professional when it comes to flipping. You're putting in probably more than 51% of your time, maybe on paper. What does cost segregation look like and how can people benefit from it? Yeah, so I mean, the the biggest four things are going to be cash flow, appreciation, depreciation, and leverage, right? Those are the biggest um, winnings in, in real estate. And for me, the the depreciation on it, and a lot of this stuff is my, I have a dialed in CPA, his name's Brady. Uh, he handles Brody's, he, hands, he handles a few other big real estate guys. So, you know, talking about some of these terms, cost segregation, this and that, I know it's the 27 and a half, you know, whatever times the, the value of the home. And I would say if, if that's what I can do, that's what I'm going to do this year, 100%. If I can do it all in one year, because I'm going to keep buying real estate every single year. So sure. if I can just claim all of it this year, which, I mean, I bought a $900,000 or $850,000 house this year in Austin um, that I'm living in currently and renting out the back unit, but... I mean, if that's going to save me $50,000 or $40,000 in taxes this year, I'm going to do that 100%. Yeah. I actually did something pretty cool as well. I rolled into one of my real estate deals, closing costs, uh, some taxes that I owed from the previous year. They cut me a check on it. I cut the check to the IRS and then someone else is paying off that debt because my house is cash flowing. Right. So, uh, that was kind of a cool little, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, real estate is, uh, yeah, it's something that, you know, continues to fascinate me and excites me. And, you know, I don't know if this statistic is real or not. There's another statistic that said, you know, 
80% statistics are all not real, yes. but you know, something like 90% of millionaires come from real estate or something like that. But it makes so much sense because at scale, you know, with leverage and appreciation over a long enough time horizon, that house will always go up in value. So at that point, it's obviously making sure you get into a good deal. So you're not overextending yourself. It's cash flowing, but it's all about how fast can you scale? How many properties can you get? And then just holding on to them long enough because you're in a good position and it's cash flowing. So there's no need to ever get rid of it unless you're trying to upgrade to another property to really allow that appreciation to create that wealth that people are looking for. Well, and I think like the definition of a millionaire is having a million dollars in assets, right? Uh, so, I mean, if you just buy two houses that are worth 500,000, you're a millionaire, you know? It's not having a million dollars in equity. It's not having a million dollars in anything else. It's just having a million dollars in assets. So if you had 10 Rolexes that were, you know, worth $100,000 each, then you're a millionaire, you know? And just like we were talking about the leverage, I think it it's so easy to become a real estate millionaire because it's, you know, three houses at, you know, $350,000 or it's four houses at $250,000. And it's really just not that hard, you know? Yeah. In today's climate with, you know, interest rates not being the highest they've been, but the, the highest they've been in a really long time and, you know, house prices still being up there. What would you say for investors? I know you kind of, you know, hinted to the next six to 12 months, there'll be a lot of opportunities based on your experience. Is now the time just to stack, 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 stop as much as possible and either wait for interest rates to give or housing prices to give, or some other people would say, Hey, you know, as long as you can, there's still good deals out there, even with the high interest rates, as long as you can make it work, where do you stand between that line? Well, we're starting to see house prices drop right now, either way. Yeah. Right. So I think buyers have a little bit more, um, ability right now they have a little bit more say in what they want uh, which is good and I know this from being on the flip side of it being a seller in this market right now having two homes on the market that we just recently flipped um, buyers definitely do have more leverage right now than they did six months you know ago or 12 months ago but uh, I always think that there's no matter what the you know interest rates are there's always deals to be found there it's the abundance mindset right there's always going to be deals out there that you can either create yourself right whether it's you find something that has this big um, living room and you put a wall in it now it has five bedrooms instead of four, whatever it is you can always create deals right um, and I just think that this time coming up any home has a number that would make it a good deal. It just might not be what this what the homeowner is willing to sell it for, right? This home right now could be a great deal at X, but you're not willing to get rid of it at that, right? Any home out there, I'll say that again, any home out there has a number that it could sell for that would make it a good deal. It's just how do we get to that number? Yeah. You know? So gotta use those negotiation skills that we were talking about. Yep. I think looking in different places and everyone is looking to everyone's going to Zillow, everyone's going to the MLS, and, and still there's there's deals on there, right? But uh, going to, you know, some other places, whether it's the Facebook marketplace where people are selling their homes, whether it's knocking on their doors and saying, you know, hey, can I buy your home from you? You know, it's an elderly woman. You're trying to sell her solar or man. Oh, I'm just not going to be here much longer. I'm thinking about going into a home, whatever it is. Well, that's awesome. How long do you plan on being here for? Well, I'd love to make an offer on your home that was fair and you felt was competitive. And there's there's so many ways that you can, you know, find deals outside of. Um, MLS, Zillow, I think having a, a good network of realtors that are hustlers uh, is one of the best things that you can do in real estate because you're leveraging their time. You're not even out there on the MLS every single day for three, four hours a day trying to stick this, you know, 
does this house work sticking this number into the calculator all that you're having these realtors that it is their job they want to sell you houses uh, and bring you good deals because that's how they get paid you know totally all about leverage tyler you're a stud bro where uh where can the viewers find you yeah instagram tbreezy33 that's where i spend uh a lot of my time i'm i'm actually well a lot of my time trying to create stuff and, and post stuff but um, I'm trying to get a little bit more into the space as well and, and be better on it. Uh, I, I always can get better on social media and Instagram. I think this is a good step, uh, going into 2023, kind of firing it off. Uh, but yeah, find me there, shoot me a message. Um, and we can get connected for sure. Love that, man. Last question for you, since we are, I believe it's the 28th right now. Uh, what advice, what, you know, last nugget could you give to the viewers on how to have the best 2023 that they've ever had? Um, keep going. And then I would just say the two words that I think I'm going to live by, I am going to live by this year is just have discipline, insane discipline, uh, and create as much value for others as possible. I think if you can do those two things, um, you will be very fruitful. You will have good relationships. You will have good friendships. People will value you. People will trust you. Um, and you can really set up your future and what you want. So stay disciplined to what you want, uh, and provide value to others without, uh, needing the guarantee of them providing value back to you, uh, and see where it takes you. Wise word, my friend guys. Thank you so much. That concludes the last episode of 2022. We will see you in the new year on the next episode. Peace. Peace.